motivate. The second of losses, I'm handing them out, yeah, I had to go delegate. It feel like I'm floating, I'm lost in the moment, that's why I never take. They never believed that I would really fall. I had to go demonstrate. I had to set them straight. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Cafe podcast. It's your boy, Devin. And like always, we're here to help you on your journey, whether it's personal development, whether it's becoming an entrepreneur, or if you're an entrepreneur facing struggles, or even in just relationships, right? Anything that you're overcoming, we have people to help give you their perspectives through their journeys. And today we have someone actually really, you know, near and dear to my heart, my aunt, Tiffany Romero. She is not only a serial entrepreneur, she is also a mom. And, you know, I've got, I've got to see her journey firsthand to a degree. And I think that she has not only a journey that's going to help you, but also a wealth of knowledge. And to go alongside her, you know, being a business owner and her being a mom, she does do, you know, keynote uh, speaking at events and stuff like that. And she runs a team. So honestly, I'm, I'm excited for this. Thank you for coming on today, Tiff. I'm excited too. Thank you. So let's, let's start off, you know, before, before Sway Group and before um, all of that, that we'll kind of get into, because, you know, right now you have the Sway Group, which is the influencer um, media marketing, as well as, you know, Takaloma, the summer camp and, you know, those things. Where did your entrepreneurial journey kind of start? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, You know, for me, I grew up, uh, very, very middle class. My dad was an electrician. So, you know, um, blue collar worker, my mom stayed home and I actually grew up in a very kind of wealthy, privileged area. And so I was surrounded by, by people that had money and access to money. And I didn't. Um, so I, I got my first job the minute that I got that work permit um, is a children's store in the mall. I worked at a burger place. And I, I think I just, I really thought to myself, like the people that I see doing this are doing it their way. And that's what I want to do. I, I, was, I was raised in a house where you got one job, you worked it till you retired, you got your pension, um, and you were happy with that. That was the goal. That was the end game. And that is certainly a valid and wonderful route. I have to tell you as an electrician and you know, with your dad's work, his pension allowed him a wonderful lifestyle um, after he was done working, but that just wasn't my personality. I was con- any babysitting job, anything that could come up. I think I, I actually, if, if we're truly going back to my initial entrepreneur ideas, I was a babysitter with handmade business cards <laughs> that I would give out everywhere in the neighborhood. Um, I went to USC and while I was at USC, uh, I was working at summer camp during the summer. And I thought I was going to be a teacher because I loved kids. And I, I really didn't understand that about like niche, like you could have a niche industry. You could have a, a you could find a problem and solve it and do it as your own owner and do it privately. And so I did my first student teaching and I was like, nope, I, I am not cut out for this. I don't want to manage 20 kids. I, I don't want to grade papers. I want to actually be with kids. 
And the camp that I worked at was privately owned by a family that we were very good friends with. And it was their lifestyle. They, that was their source of income for the entire year. Um, they, they did the marketing, they did the hiring, they did the HR, they did the scheduling, they did everything around the camp. And I worked a couple different summers. And when I was 23, they had the director at the time leave and they said, we think you could do this. And I was like, you know, I don't have kids. I'm not married. Like you really, but I had worked every position. I'd been the office manager. I'd been the uh, head lifeguard at the pool. I'd worked with every age group. And so I said, yes. And while of course they owned the camp, it was, it was their business, their capital. They gave me so much trust and leeway that I quickly started to develop skills that didn't go along with my degree from history. That's what I ended up changing to at USC. So I had also worked a little bit as a manager for The Gap. Um, I think at the time I was like the youngest assistant manager ever in the company. I think I was like 19. That's where I learned like how HR works. I learned about budgets. I learned about um, distribution and product and managing a team because when you're when you're there and you're the assistant manager and the one in charge, like you're in charge of the team and just dealing with personnel issues and um, customer service. So my time in retail really, really set the tone. You wouldn't expect retail would lead you to entrepreneurship necessarily, but I'm going to tell you that's where I got my education um, because it was so quick. It was on my feet and. I had to deal with it in real time. So I wasn't in a classroom learning about budgets and customer service and all these things. I was literally in the store figuring out how am I going to meet payroll goals when I have to cover these shifts? Like how, what's the, where are the spots where the store is slower? You know, all those things. Um, and so that turned into camp and then camp turned into, you know, its own business and me running it and then, you know, starting the blog. And by the, by the time I started the blog, I, I was really thinking like an entrepreneur. I was really thinking this is new. You know, I don't know if you've read like outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, but like the idea that, that to be in the right place at the right time with the 10,000 hours, right. Of work I got in at the beginning, at the at the earliest time and was able to say, you know what? There's a need here. There's a need for conferences. There's a need for a robust community. And then that has really led me to, you know, a business that has 30 full-time employees on this way side. And at camp, we have about a hundred seasonal point employees. So it's it's been a fascinating journey. But the thing is, even the crappiest job I had was important for a skill that I now use every day. And I think that's a huge, a huge piece right there is that, you know, just because you're in a certain place in life or you're working a job that you don't necessarily want to be doing, it's not your dream job. If you're viewing it in the sense of just dreading going to work every day and, you know, only seeing it in that light and not really taking for what it is. Cause I mean, I worked retail. I did, I even did telephone sales, you know, for, for a little while. And it's one of those things, if you're not taking the lessons and you're not taking the skills that that place is giving you, like you said, you didn't learn in a classroom, you learned 
in the store, right? Like that is free education. Someone else went to school to develop the systems and processes so that they could teach it to you. And now you just learned that in real time. So I think that's, that's really huge. Um, with, with the camp, and then you kind of jumped into like the blog, what made you want to start the blog? Like what, what made you realize that was something that you wanted to kind of do? I've always loved to write. Um, always. And, you know, Will was, my son, Will was about seven or eight and my neighbor had started blogging. Um, and I thought, you know, let me just try this. Like I wasn't good at scrapbooking. I was terrible. You know, back then we didn't have videos and pictures on our phones. This was in like 2008. Um, and I thought, you know, this is free. It's a free platform at the time. You did not, you use blogger.com or something, um, literally. And I started writing these posts and then I'm big on connection. Like I, I, I saw it as a means to connect with other moms who maybe didn't live down the street. Cause as a working mom, I had a hard time meeting local moms because they were going to like yoga and then lunch. Well, I was working. Um, and so I wasn't really able to make connections as easily that way. But online, if I could get on and write my blog post at 1030 at night and then wake up in the morning. So back in the beginning blogging days, before Twitter, before Facebook, before Instagram, we communicate in the comments. So I would wake up to 50 comments and I would write about everything from, you know, things about being a parent, things about being married, um, just life in general. They called us mommy bloggers um, back in the day. And I, about three months in, I realized if I go to a search engine and I put in like mom blogger, the same five blogs come up. How am I going to find these other bloggers? So I developed a website that became a community of like, I think by the highest, we were like 60,000 bloggers um, were signed up. And basically we featured a new blogger every day. So every day you could come and find a new blogger to check out, but it was based on a line. So you got, you put yourself in line to be featured. And as long as you had commented on the blog, on one of the blogs three times in a month, you would get featured. So we we were able with that mentality, we were able to keep people engaged because to get their turn, they had to support the person in front of them. Um, and and again, this this I always tell people one of the reasons that I was able to launch my my blog and eventually a conference series that did six figures a year and then into my company now is because from day one I invested in myself. I started the blog with a prize package for summer that included like a digital camera, a bounce house, like all these things to keep you and your kids busy. I think it cost me like $500, but that got me the first probably 2000 people in the first week. So I didn't have to start off slow with like word of mouth. I thought, you know what? I'm going to spend the money. I got it professionally designed. Like I really went in and at the time, what this was like, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, women were still a, a lot of like suburban moms. They weren't in the mindset of that. They could take money from the family and put it towards something that was just for them. And that is really where my conference series 
and my most popular talks and my most popular keynotes really came from is being an entrepreneur and being a woman is very different in in most situations than being an entrepreneur and being male. Um, as a as a woman, you know, I think it's gotten so much better with emotional labor and division of labor. Like I see you as a dad and how involved you are. And I was so lucky because I had that too. Um, but a lot of the women that I were that I spoke to didn't. And they didn't feel like they could go to their partner and their family and say, I'm good at this. And I think I have a chance to make a business out of this. And I need this money from our savings account. And I need this time out of the day. And so what I was seeing was women staying up four hours after their kids go to bed to try to build their blog. Um, And so that really became like a passion of mine and what I built the conference series around. But it's, it's really it's really evolved naturally. And I think that I'm very proud of um, in just the sense that I didn't push. I didn't, I see people saying, oh, that, you know, you need an, a, a website that sells stuff from Amazon. If you're not passionate about home decor or clothing or makeup, like it's, you're just pushing buttons. You're just running on a hamster wheel. When it evolves naturally and you're sharing your own love for fitness, your own love for women succeeding in business, I feel like that's where the sweet spot is. And that's that's what really allowed my businesses to really keep momentum because you know I have ADHD and inattention and I, if I'm not into it, it's probably not, not only is it not happening, I won't even like, you know, people will say to me, oh, I love your speaking style. Could you come speak? We want you to talk about this. And I'm like, no, (laughs) there's about three things I talk about. If one of those things isn't a fit for your keynote, then I'm not a fit. But if it is like, I'll give you the best keynote of your life. So I think just really, really being clear about what it is that you want and so many of my conferences and personal coaching starts off with that question for women. What is it you actually want? Because it can't be a $200 sponsored post, right? That's, that's not an end game. An end game is, you know, I want to, I want to make, I want this business to create $10,000 a month of income um, in the next year. You know, really, really things that really really push your life into where you want it to be. Not, you know, back in the time that I was blogging, everybody wanted a free trip to Disney. Everybody wanted that because Disney would hire like 10 moms that got to go to Disney and talk about it. And I'd be like, just make the money and go to Disney. Stop competing with this pool of 10,000 people and just do your own thing and make the money and go to Disney. Exactly. And that was like radical at the time. (laughs) So like that, I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent on that, you know, and even nowadays, you know, we were talking a little bit before this and, you know, certain people will settle for a comfortable life and then they're not necessarily happy. So the question, you know, what do you want or what do you truly want? You know, guy or girl, that's usually the best question to ask someone, right? Just because most people, if you ask that question, they're like, they'll give the most generic answer. I want to be a millionaire. It's like, okay, high five you and everyone else. 
Like, <laughs> what do you, what do you actually want? Like, give me, give me things, give me, give, paint me a picture. Right. And so with that, there is no right answer. Right. So if someone wants to start a, you know, a side hustle or a small business, by all means, just do it. Right. You want to make 10,000 a month. Then how do you do it? What are you passionate about? Like you said, and it's not that I think what people get confused on the way you said it was, was perfect because people think if I'm passionate, I'll never work a day in my life. That's just not true. Like you are going to work like it, that's just the nature of the game, but you're going to be excited about going to work. You're going to be excited about learning new things and growing and like everything you said. I mean, I have ADHD myself and it's one of those things that I'm not passionate about it. If I don't at least like it, I'm not doing it but, or I'll try to do it and I'm not going to get it done. So I think it's important that, you know, you have a degree or a reason why you would like to do that. Otherwise it's just not going to be worth it. Right. And then what is the value come from it? Well, and what you just said about, um, that if you, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That is, I, I feel like that is actually dangerous. Like when people go around saying that stuff, it's, it's, it's simply not true. Not only are you going to work in the beginning, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked. And there are going to be times now, like I don't have to do that level of work anymore, but when crap hits the fan, I have to work stress. Like it is, it is another level. And so if you're, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to open this gym and it's going to be great because I love to work out. Okay. You're going to have issues with employees. You're going to have issues with landlords. You're going to have issues with customers, with clients. But, but like, there are a lot of people that, that joke, especially parents that come to our summer camp. I could never do your job. I could never deal with not only parents. One, you are taking care of their most precious thing, right? And you're, we, we are, um, our clientele is, you know, very privileged. Um, and where they work or what they do, they're in charge. So I'm also dealing with ego. I'm dealing with um, very strong personalities. And usually when they say jump, the person on the other end says how high, and that's just not me. Um, but you know what? My, my skills around customer service and people and, and really understanding the nuances of people and taking my ego out of it, that, is, that has been the number one, I would say, lesson as an entrepreneur for me that was a rough learning curve, but has changed everything about how I operate, how I am with my business partners, how I am with clients and customers. I, I, it's okay if I misunderstood. I don't need to fix everybody's perception of me. But also when you take the ego out and you just say, I totally hear you. They're shocked because they don't expect that when you're, when they're complaining about your business, that you're not going to immediately defend yourself. So I might say something, oh my gosh, if that's what happened, I would be absolutely livid. You're right. Let me look into this. And they just immediately diffuse. And they're so (laughs) put off and unsure. And you know, there are some times that I have to say, it doesn't seem like we're the right fit for you. 
And, and that's okay. And in those cases, you know, here's your money. Best of luck. I don't want to be right for a hundred percent of the people. That's not a business that's moving forward and, and disrupting and making waves. I want to do what I do and what I love. And it's going to be right for a lot, enough people to pay my bills and give me a great life. And I think that's where a lot of early entrepreneurs get tangled up is in their own ego, defending their, their businesses and their practices and not being comfortable saying, you know what? This isn't the right fit. This isn't a good, this isn't a good match for you. You know, I, people will say to us, like, you know, sometimes we'll, we have a lot of, um, celebrities that, that come through our doors are high profile people. And sometimes their requests are not something we can accommodate, you know, with 20 year old staff members. And people will be like, you turn down who? And I'm like, they, they pay the same amount of money as everybody else, but I'm having to do three times the work, you know, on, so it, it doesn't make sense. Like everything that I do, what is, where does this feed my, my bottom line? Does this feed my family? Does this feed my bank account? Does this feed my soul? If the answer is no, it's a no period. And it's really hard when money's on the line to say no, it's really hard, but it's, it will pay off in the long run because the more specific you get about who you are and what you offer, the more raving loyal fans you have, who, who fit that, who match that. No, I agree 100%, both on the fact of, you know, rewinding to when you said, you know, people that are quitting their nine to five to think that all of a sudden you don't have a, a time clock in, in the early days, like their 24 hours is your now your new time clock, like welcome to the team. But I agree. And it's a lesson I think I've learned over my career, you know, as well from personal training. And now even with the franchise system, I still have that same mindset of how you said, like, not, I don't want to be a hundred percent, you know, the right fit for everyone. So even though we're in the early stages of franchising, I've already turned away people and be like, look, I don't think our franchise is the right system for you. And it's crazy because the numbers that we're talking on, on bigger scales, and it's just turning, turning down money now on something like that. You're also saving yourself 10 years, in my case, 10 years of headaches. And it's like, what do you value more? Right. And then for yourself, for like the camp, let's say, you know, you're turning down a parent that that's a whole summer. You don't have to deal with a headache or whatever for your, you know, influencer marketing thing. All of a sudden, if you have clients that are, you know, going way above and beyond and they're already creating issues before the projects even started, how do you think the project is going to go? And then your other clients are going to see how one, you respond to that client and you're going to get frustrated. So they're going to see you frustrated. And then that's not going to rub them the right way, as well as those clients aren't going to refer other people to someone that's frustrated. So by tailoring down, like you said, your niche, you've made it like an important part so that everyone that is part of your team or your clientele are raving fans and they're referring people because the community is so tight knit and you're not just like, I'm, I'll take everyone's money. You know, it's like, it, so. it, to your point, it will cost you money. It will cost you money and time in your employees' morale. Because if you have a terrible client that is affecting your employees who who are punching a clock and who aren't doing this for you know down the line wealth, it's gonna it's gonna wear on them. And then they feel like 
that you aren't sticking up to what or living up to what you said the culture was going to be at work. And so, I mean, we've, we've absolutely let clients go on this wayside, not, not, not only for being, um, oh, you know, clients in general in the marketing world tend to be, I wouldn't say difficult. They're just intense. You know, there's a lot of money on the line. Things are moving really fast, but we've actually turned away business that just didn't line up with us ethically. You know, we had a client that only, that said specifically, we only want white people. And we were like, that's not how we roll. That's not what we do. Somebody else took their money for sure, but I I could go to sleep at night. I could, you know, I could know I was living up to what I said we stood for. And that matters to me and my mental well-being. And if you're, you know, here's the thing. Everybody has a sellout price. I don't care what people say. If you came in and said to me, you know, put something wildly inappropriate up on Sway's website or, you know, you're going to do this, this crazy campaign. If it's life, if it's money where I don't need a reputation anymore, I'm taking it. Okay. But I see people sell out for so much less. If you're truly going to sell out and be done and, and your reputation is shot, it better be money where you never have to open that computer again, that you don't have to use your good name to get a job again. And if you don't know that and you walk around with, oh, I'd never sell out. Okay. That's one, you might miss a really good opportunity to sell out. But two, like you're selling out, like our, we had a program come through Sway. Um, it was actually before Sway it was when it was just Fran and I, and it was called Sits Girls, $10,000 campaign. That was unheard of money. But they wanted us to collect information from people, like not really super honestly. This was like before there was a lot of rules around that. And we we turned that money down because I said, if our reputation is is can be sold for ten thousand dollars, like who are we? Now, give me a couple mil and we might have a different conversation as long as I'm not breaking any laws. But you know, people they don't think through what, like you said, that 10 years, right? Like you have to weigh as an entrepreneur, you have to weigh all the variables when you make a decision. Does this get me where I want to be? Does this allow me to live the lifestyle I've committed to? Does this allow me to, you know, increase my profit? Like, of course the money is a part of it, but there are other things, intrinsic things in your business that you can't necessarily put a dollar sign on that you have to consider with every decision that you make. Right. I mean, it kind of goes into like the idea of don't make a long-term decision for a short-term fix. You know, yes. like you gotta, as entrepreneurs, especially like we do a lot of things on, on the go and on our feet. And there's sometimes it is a quick decision, but sometimes you get the realize you can take a step back at any given point and realize that if it's going to be that big of a decision, it should be made right then and there. Like, you know, so you, just because you're an entrepreneur, just because you're a business owner doesn't need, you, you need to be rapid fire on everything, right? Analyze, right. really focus on it. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, there's been, I mean, even this early in the stage of, of the franchise, we've already got some offers on some, 
growth movement that I just didn't want to do because it's just a weird angle. And I just, I don't think it would stick to our company core values and my core values, you know, just like you were saying, um, with your, with Sway and, and I'm assuming the other companies as well, do you guys have like core values that you guys run everything by? We do. Um, I wanted to say something really quick about what you said about decisions, because that's been this last year, one of my professional goals, because I do set them for myself. I hate the word goals, but I would say more like a focus or an intention. One of my professional intentions, that's a much better word, is I heard, I was listening to a TED talk, I think it was, and the speaker said, don't make a decision you don't have to make. And I was just like, it was like, even all these years in, like almost 50 years into life, I'm a reactor. And my number one strength in Clifton strengths is strategy. So if you say something to me, I'm immediately sorting for the strategy of where to go next. Like I tell my brain operates and to, to pause for that moment or just say, do I have to really decide on this right now? Let's get some more information. I'm such a bit, even with parenting, with my relationship, with my husband, my relationship with other people, like, am I, am I making a decision about this? I don't think I have enough information to come to this judgment or this decision about this situation or this person. And it has been, that's like the best advice for someone like me, who's impulsive and reactionary is you don't actually have to decide this right now. And I'll say that to myself. Like, you don't have to decide this right now. Let it sit. Um, we do. We have, you know, um, core values around, you know, being agile and diverse and promoting women's voices is a big one for Sway. Um, for me, I like to take decisions and say to myself or to the team, does this get us where we want to be? Like, is this on, if we want to be at this amount of dollars and this amount of profit, because that's the other thing. So many times entrepreneurs only look at dollars in the sense of gross. They don't look at their profit margin. And so many decisions are not thought through looking at, okay, how much money am I actually keeping? When I say, if I say yes to a million dollars project, but it costs me 999000 to make it happen. That's not a great business decision. Sure, my, my bottom, my, my, you know, gross will show a million, but my bottom line is going to show a thousand dollars. Like that just doesn't make sense. And so taking that time to really think through things and say, what does this cost us emotionally? What does this cost us um, personally and work time? Because every minute that I'm away from my family is a cost. It's a cost to them and a cost to me. So what what are these costs? Um, I recently restructured Takaloma and um, made some changes after COVID. It's a smaller program now and we make less money. But because it's a smaller program, we have so much more time and so much less stress and liability. We took out transportation, which was a huge liability. And that is worth it to us. That has that trade-off those those benefits are as important to us as the financial benefits were. So it's really, you know, making those decisions and weighing out 
how does this affect more than my business? When I sit down with women and talk about making a business plan, they're always shocked when I say, how many hours a week do you plan to work? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you need to know during each phase of this business plan, what is the toll on your family life? Are you going to need to hire someone to do the laundry? Are you going to need to hire someone? You know, as, as a partner, there's only really one thing that you need to be that you can't hire someone else to do, right? It's like time and other stuff. But, you know, so many women are like, no, I, I, I have to do the laundry. I have to get the groceries. Why? One of the, the biggest common denominators among really successful women entrepreneurs is that they do not grocery shop. They don't. If they can make $200 an hour, $300 an hour doing their work, why would they ever spend that at the grocery store? Unless they love it. There are people where going to the grocery store helps them get creative for what they want to cook and they love it. That's different. That's not me. But like knowing like if you can pay a hundred bucks a year for an Instacart, you know, what does that save me in time? It saves me. I, Instacart tells me every time that I've saved, I think I'm at 2000 shopping trips or something since in the last three or four years. But just really balancing out who can take this off my plate? Who can do this and delegate so that you can do what you're good at and you can do the job and the tasks that bring money into the business and that keep people moving and keep people motivated and keep the creativity going because that's really where the focus should be. Once once your operation has employees, you don't want to be down in the weeds, right? Like you want to be looking at the bigger picture Somebody has to be. And, you know, if you have a business partner, maybe they're the ones that deals with the day to day, you know, weeds of what's going on or you divide it. But you want to have space available to look ahead. And if your head is down and you're only focused on getting through that day, you're not using that energy to think bigger and make plans and, and strategically come up with what's next. What's next, you know? No, and I, that's awesome. And honestly, I completely agree with what you're saying too. If you don't love doing it in the sense of like grocery shopping, just this analogy, right? Then you don't necessarily need to spend the time doing it because yes, you make $200 an hour, let's say, just to make, keep this, you know, numbers game even. You make $200 an hour, but now you give up an hour just of drive time there back unloading the groceries and that there's $200 lost, right? You live it that way. Then you go into the grocery store. Let's say you're there for another hour finding all the groceries. That's another $200 technically lost. So now you have $400. And then you spend $200 at the grocery store to buy your groceries. Now you're $600 when you don't even love doing it anyways. So you could have paid someone, you know, a quarter of that or even, you know, a fraction of that, just do it for you and still made money. But if you do love it, then by all means, like it's everything in life, there is a cost association, right? If you're in your business working, the cost is you're not spending time with your family. If you're spending time with the family, there's a cost up to your business, right? So everything works that way. So I completely agree. You just have to evaluate the cost of the things that you're doing. And is it really the most valuable thing to you and to your goals or your intentions, right? So knowing what you know now on delegation, what would be your advice or how were you able to shift your mindset? Because I mean, I went through the same thing for a solopreneur becoming an entrepreneur and having a team 
and knowing that you don't need to do every task and wear every hat. What is, what was your journey like, you know, bringing on a team and, and realizing that? Well, I, I'm really fortunate in my personality that I don't, I'm not a perfectionist. I think entrepreneurs, that's hard because a lot of entrepreneurs are actual perfectionists. They like things done a certain way. And that, that's what has helped them get to this point. That isn't me. So I, I just want to go in saying that because I know that some people listening might be like, oh my God, I could never. Um, so I, I, my first, when I realized that Sits Girls, which was the website that led to Sway um, being involved, when I realized I was not going to be able to do it on my own because I was running summer camp. So there were three months, there was no way. I looked at the people around me in the blogging world and I said, who has the opposite skill set of me, but the same values? And that's the person I picked. Um, my partner, Fran, still my partner, one of my closest friends. She has the opposite skill set of me. She's very detail oriented. I'm big picture. Um, she's, you know, there's not a dish left in her sink at night. I could care less if I go to bed with the dishes done, but I live with Scott Romero. So he can't go to bed with the dishes in the sink. Um, I, I, when I, when I speak at conferences and talk to women, there's a really simple exercise that I do, and it's going to sound super easy and like silly almost, but it works. It works at least to get things started, which is to take a piece of paper and write down, if I didn't have to blank, I could do more of blank. And that first blank that you fill in is the first person you hire to do. So if I didn't have to do accounting, I could do more marketing. And you start to see what it is that, you know, you don't want to hire people that have the same strengths as you. You want to hire people who do the, love to do the stuff that you don't. And with women, what I was seeing a lot women who 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 came upon owning a business accidentally because they were really good at selling something on Etsy or their blog took off and suddenly they had an opportunity to create a product something like that they hire their friends and their family because they feel like they can that that's easy and they can trust them but the, here's the thing <laughs> you you, you are not responsible for taking everybody with you, first of all, on your success. That's a hard, it sounds harsh. And I'm, I'm a generous person and that's, that's great. And I, I'm happy to give, but it's, but I'm not responsible for my family's livelihood to be all employer employees of my business. Um, my sisters worked with me for years, opposite skill set, and it works for us. But, Really take the time to, to, to do a job description with AI these days and chat GPT. Just you can write in words of what you need and say, create a job description so that, that you can then go through and edit. Well, I don't need that. I do need this. And I would say, you know, start someone as an independent contractor if you can to make sure that the fit is there. And then you can see, okay, am I in a place to actually make this person an employee? Because there's a lot that goes along with having actual employees versus independent contractors that you need to be 
ready for and able to do where their taxes and accounting and, you know, all that. Um, but to really nail down, not just, I need help. What do you need help with? Because your first, the first person you hire might be a babysitter so that you can actually get some extra work done when they're not at school. The first person you hire might be, you know, someone who comes in and cleans your house because that's time that you need back. But then when you get to like, you know, a brick and mortar establishment like you have, your needs change and you have to figure out, okay, what time of day do I need these people to cover? Um, what skill set do they need to have? What do they need to be able to do? Like, do they need to be able to lift 50 pounds? Do they, you know, you need to have all these things figured out. Um, you know, we have a zero tolerance for gossip at camp. You can actually be terminated for gossiping. And people are like, how can you do that? That's not legal. I'm like, it, it actually is because it's laid out in our job description and it's part of our employee handbook. And so the people that in the interview, when it comes up, when those people say, that's not even possible. Well, it's obviously not for you. So you're not a good fit for our culture, right? But the people who are like, oh my God, like there's nobody talks crap about other people and this place sounds amazing. Those are the people that are a really good fit. And I want to touch on something you said because I've heard that before, not with our company, but like over the years, like, you know, people getting upset because, you know, someone got fired for this or that. It's like, depending on what the job description is, and if it, it, in your terms, it says, you know, you're a no gossip company and you just didn't follow the rules. Well, guess what? You're a rule breaker. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't fit the, the circle. But even in most states, if you really look at it, most states, employment is at will. At will, yeah. You know, so in reality, if that was your your one thing, you still have the at will clause too. But it's one of those things where like knowing the kind of person you are, you're not going to just let someone go, just right. to let them go, you know, and that's who I am as well. So that's one of the things where for us, we have a similar kind of policy. And I, you know, it's one of those things where we're here to impact people's lives for the positive. So if you're not impacting someone's life in a positive and you're active negative, you know, you start to go against the company core values and who we want just around us. Like if I can't see you at a family barbecue or something like that, like we just don't hire you. Like if I can't, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, and, and interviewing multiple people is so important. Even if you love the first candidate, that's great. Love them. I mean, I, 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 my wedding dress was the first dress I tried on. I still tried on 15 others, right? Because you, you actually, the more people you interview when you start, the more clear you actually get about what you're looking for, because you either see what you don't want or what you do want. And then you can kind of curtail your interview questions and curtail your job description more and more and, and make it more and more specific and purposeful and intentional for the, for the job and the position that you're hiring for. No, I definitely agree. And if you, you interview that first person, they might seem like the golden employee, right? But if you don't interview the second person, they might've been a little bit better, right? You know, you, and you won't know that in giving yourself options as a business owner, or if you really only need one position, you can't financially bring on a second position. There's ways to do it. Um, I mean, we won't really go into right now, but it's one of those things where who's the best fit. And now you have at least a few people when a spot does open up, you can actually reach back out knowing already who it is. So you don't need to start trying to, you know, look and scour the market. You already have a 
kind of a plethora of, of people to kind of go back and like, hey, a position to open up, would you be willing to, you know, join or come on board, blah, blah, blah. Um, I know we've touched base a little bit on Sway and stuff, but, you know, I just want you to go into like a brief detail. What does Sway do, you know? So, um, yeah, Sway is a like influencer and creator, um, digital agency. So essentially what we do is develop and execute online digital programs for brands that are focused on the creator, um, and creator content. So you'll have a, um, brand that comes in and says, okay, we are launching this new burger. Um, we think we want it on TikTok. We're thinking our budget is this. We want to go. So we have like, um, nano, micro, macro, basically the levels of influencers. Your nanos are like a thousand on Instagram, 10,000 on TikTok. And it just kind of goes up from there. And then we will look at that. Um, in most cases, our preference is to look at that and then come back to them with the strategy that we think will best work to promote this product. Um, and then we have, we've worked with thousands and thousands of influencers over the years. We've paid millions of dollars to influencers. And so we'll do um, a newsletter or reach out individually and say, hey, we have this um, client and this campaign. We think potentially you're a great fit. Here's the budget. You know, what do you think? And then we we manage the project. So we have a whole team of project managers that... Um, manage it. We have a IM department, which is what I'm in charge of, which is the people that um, recruit in the creators and then QA, which we read every piece of content um, to make sure that it's disclosed and it's accurate. You know, the brand name is spelt right. <laughs> Little things like that that matter. Um, and then we have a reporting team that turns around to report. So we're soup to nuts. The brands that come to us are are looking for someone else to handle their their content creation. Um, and that's us. And so, um, it's, it's interesting. I think we're really one of the few that still do, do the whole thing. Um, a lot of other agencies have maybe like a database that you would go into as a business owner and you would find, you know, the five creators that you want, and then you would handle working with them. And and then the platform often handles the payment for you. Um, so it's been an interesting ride for sure. And things have changed. So we started with blogs um, and then Facebook was big. So it was creators on Facebook. Then Facebook became pay to play. It, it was all ads. You had to put money behind anything to get it seen. Then came Instagram. The Instagram algorithm, it's, it's impossible. Like it's just so difficult. So you had all these creators essentially buying um, followers. Well, not realizing that there's software where I can look at your Instagram account, I can see what countries your your followers come from, I can see your engagement rate. So I see, you know, when I talk to um, entrepreneurs that are running smaller businesses, they'll be like, "Oh no, I got this person that has two hundred thousand. Like, what's their engagement rate? Where is their audience located?" Because you need to know those things, and if you're why are you paying a $200,000, you know, creator their rate when it's really only reaching literally 500 people that are potential customers for you? 
So it's being really smart about that. And we, you know, definitely paid a lot of attention to that. Um, but it's been wild. So now TikTok, I would say our campaigns that are either a combination of Instagram and TikTok or a hundred percent TikTok. Interesting. And I'm a huge fan. <laughs> the algorithm of TikTok, I, I it, it's 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 a it's a masterpiece. <laughs> That's crazy. It um, is. Honestly, your your journey from Gap Assistant, youngest or you know unofficially the youngest Gap Assistant manager to you know now running a seven figure, I think since the last event we were talking about seven figure, you know, social media marketing company or influencer marketing company. What is your one piece of advice that you've been given or that through your journey you've learned and you know you would like to leave you know with the listeners? Gosh, that's a that's a great question. I feel like I've given a lot of the ones that I have, but it's just so you gotta surround yourself with people who are where you want to be in five years. And you, if, like I said on your Instagram post, if you're the smartest person in the room or the most successful person in the room, it's time for a new room. You need to continue to seek out people that motivate you and that, that like, you know, when you're around people, like I feel like this when I'm around you, like we just start. We just start talking. We got like these ideas going. Like though finding those people and those relationships and 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 this is a silly one, but if you if you're have someone in your inner circle that is not thrilled out of their mind for you, they do not belong in your inner circle. You do not need to surround yourself with anyone who is not doing cartwheels and high-fiving and jumping around on your behalf. Surrounding yourself with people that truly want you to succeed is is a huge part of success because nobody does this alone. Nobody does it alone. It, it may seem like, you know, Elon Musk did this by himself. He did not. Um, you need to surround yourself with those people that are positive and strategic and excitatory. And when you start to walk away and you say, God, I don't... Notice how you feel when you're around people because you want to spend as much time as you can with the people who leave you going, I loved that. That was awesome. That was great. And way less time with the people who leave you questioning yourself. Definitely. Well, honestly, throughout this whole episode, you definitely left multiple, multiple knowledge drops, but I agree a hundred percent, especially with that last piece you know, your circle is supposed to be uplifting. Your circle is supposed to be really in your corner. And if you have someone that's not, they're not supposed to be in your circle, like cut the finger to save the hand. And it's one of those things where if you are the smartest person in the room where you think you are, then you need to find a new room because you need to, you elevate to your surroundings, right? You shouldn't suppress to your surroundings. So I agree 100%. Tiff, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I know you got tons of things going on. So thank you so much for coming on, you know, and being a guest on the podcast. Um, and for the listeners, if you got something from this episode, which I know you did, please leave a rating and make sure you share it with a friend. Tiff, we'll definitely see you soon. Thank you so much.